We live, Joe. We're live, Joe. Well, good times here at Quantum Miami. <laughs> yeah, man, we're having fun. And we got Juan here from Phantom. He's just rocking it over there. And um, she's so psyched to do this interview with you, buddy. Like, Likewise. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Yeah, really excited to be here. Well, I was the head of marketing at Phantom. How long? A little over a year now. Okay. It's like 10 years oh, in, wow. in blockchain. Yeah, yeah. Dude, that's yeah. like crazy, yeah. especially in this chaos. Yeah. Um, so first, tell us a little bit about um, yourself, how you got into crypto, how long you've been in it, and how you ended up with Phantom. Sure. So um, first time I ever came across the the concept of crypto, I mean, I think I'd heard about it just like everybody else in, in the news saying Bitcoin was dead like 10 years ago. Right. Um, but uh, the first time I ever actually acquired any crypto was in around 2017. And that oh, was really? through probably Robinhood. And I think I got like Dogecoin and maybe some Bitcoin. Uh, and to be honest with you, I had absolutely zero clue what it was. Yeah. I just viewed it as like analogous to a stock, except kind of nonsensical. Right. Um, that's, and, I think that's yeah. about 90% of the people in the United States or wherever else who say they know or own crypto. It's just, yeah, I bought it on Coinbase. Correct. Yeah. And I, I even, uh, I also remember I, I got like a few vaporware ICO tokens. Oh, nice. Yeah. So that was nice. a really nice, uh, yeah. a really nice start to the, the whole experience. <laughs> love, love uh, yeah, space. yeah. You know what? Let me see if I can find a yeah. job in crypto. Exactly. <laughs> But then what ended up happening was um, I, I essentially deemed my investments to be worthless. Like I, I kind of, I forgot about them to be honest. I didn't even bother cashing out. Right. Um, and then a couple of years in, I had a friend who, he was the one who, who initially kind of like got me into this. Mm -hmm. And uh, I thought that again, everyone's decisions are yours. But, uh, but then he said, hey, you know, um, maybe like you should look at this from another perspective. And he uh, recommended the book, The Bitcoin Standard to me nice. by this guy, uh, say, I think I'm pronouncing it, Saifedean Amos. Yep. Yep. Um, a lot of the stuff that, that he wrote in that book, I still think is, is important to stay. A lot of things uh, I, I may not agree with anymore, you know, and especially like being in, in an alternative uh, cryptocurrency. Right. Like I think he, he would probably say that I didn't, I didn't get the right takeaway from the book. But, um, <laughs> but, that, but that book was, was what... Yeah. You're supposed to become a maximalist. Yeah. Yes. Correct. Yeah. Correct. <laughs> um, but 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 that book was was what sort of set me on the path to to viewing this more of a as a, as a movement and a long term sort of philosophy and to a certain extent not to sound cultish but a way of life. Yeah. Um, and I went from that to I think it was like twenty what you know crypto years are very confusing. So like was it maybe twenty twenty when there was DeFi summer? Yeah, and yeah, all that sort yeah. of stuff. Yep, yep. And so there I got. Uh, I um I think the dopamine was was very high for me and especially kind of just being at home. I got involved with uh you know a lot of just like speculation and that sort of stuff. I think I started veering off the path I had been on originally with the Safety and Amos book. Um, but then I think something something clicked at some point. And not that I have anything about against like you know the the degen uh crypto world and the, and the DeFi applications that service it. But I just realized, you know, if I'm going to be in this space, I want it to be for the long haul. And this is just not a sustainable um, yep. thing to, to be dedicating my time and attention to. Yeah. Uh, so I started, you know, really researching it beyond that, looking at it uh, from, from the lens. You know, right now, this is a, a somewhat of a bubble in an eco chamber. What is this going to look like when it reaches a wider audience? What use for, you know, the population, the world population, the world it doesn't have no ways. I get it. Yeah. Comments. yeah. Access to uh, you know traditional banking and financial services, which is a lot of the world. People I think in the West, uh, especially in Europe and North America, don't realize 
you know, how useful these applications can be for people in Africa, Latin America, right. Southeast Asia, right. um, where it's, it's a life raft. It's not a, it's not this metagame that we play, but mm -hmm. it's really, uh, you know, an alternative to survive. And that's also why you see things like stablecoin usage being so high in countries where, you know, their, their, uh, local currency has been devalued and is unreliable because of X, Y, or Z reasons. Uh, and again, like we were talking about this on the panel the, the other day, but uh, it still requires a lot of technical know-how to, to be able to get on here. Yeah. So I'm really excited for when we get to the point in time where uh, it's as easy as you using any other application on your mobile phone to access these, uh, these services for, for people around the world, not just in, in, in the Western developed world. Mm -hmm. and, and that's really what, what has most attracted me and, and kind of captivated my attention. That's awesome. So, and so ended up at Phantom. Who did you have a connection in? Sorry about that. No, 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 no. Yeah. So Phantom, I joined Phantom. Now we're in 2023. I joined Phantom at the end of 2021. Right. Um, I met Simone Pomposi, who's the chief market officer of Phantom. Right. Um, multiple times. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, Love Simone. Great boss too. Yeah. And if you're cool. listening, Simone, great boss. <laughs> um, but I, I met him because I was actually working with Buddy who lives here in Miami and um, he does a, a lot of music. He, he works with musicians, mm -hmm. he's essentially an artist manager, some some pretty big names. And I started thinking about, you know, how could we use NFTs uh, for, for musicians, for loyalty, for rewards, for concerts, that sort of thing. And uh, I remember, uh, I believe this is how I met Simone, you know, because I know this was one of our first conversations. I sort of reached out to him, pitched it, had my friend on. Um, we explored that. It never really went anywhere, but someone and I continued uh, chatting, and um, you know, here here I am today. So, love it, right? yeah. oh, yeah, well, I love it. I think you're killing. Um, so, um, some folks said that that for some reason the the broadcast was chopped at the beginning. So, mm -hmm. do us a favor, real quick. Just introduce yourself, your name, your title, what you cool. do, that kind of stuff. And actually, right. let's talk about what your role is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Band, yeah. What you're in charge of. Because head of marketing can be really broad and also non-traditional in crypto. Yes, I think that'd be interesting. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, so my name's Juan Angel. I'm head of marketing here at Phantom. Uh, for those who missed it, I've been here for a, a little over a year, a year and two months now, um, or a year and a month. And uh, what I do as head of marketing is, so if you if you think about marketing the way we're structured, the first thing to keep in mind is we're a very lean team. So um, to the best of my knowledge, because we're so distributed, we have around 100 employees total. Right. Um, but the majority of those are, are developers right. working on various different things. On the BD marketing side and operations, if you will, we have probably 10, 15 people, depending on, on the day, give or take. And also some people come and, and go. And we have a lot of sort of part-time contributors who sure. also do other things. Um, but as head of marketing, I, I do wear a lot of different hats. So uh, not just the marketing and doing things like this, right? Evangelizing Phantom and bringing it to to other people's attention, but also just internal operations of understanding the narrative, understanding go-to-market strategy. Uh, there's a lot of business development crossover where we're close with Sam Harcourt, who is our director of business development, uh, on you know talking to talking teams who are onboarding. Like you and I have had some conversations right. already with some other things you work on. Um, uh, but as as head of marketing, you know, I sit under Simone. Someone is, is basically looking at the bigger picture and the vision, and I'm, I guess, the operator, right? Helping helping bring that to fruition and execute it uh, to the best of my ability. So, yeah, a lot of different hats, uh, but that's that's what I'm doing. Do you guys have, like, I mean, at Phantom, is it, I got to believe it doesn't feel like a traditional corporation, but I also think you guys have spent a lot of time over the last year really trying to um, structure things within the organization because it you know, projects like this, they start off, it's a bit of chaos. And then you end up like, oh, wait a minute, there's a lot of money here and a lot of money being bet here. Um, so we should probably start structuring things. 
for you, is that a is that a is that a situation where you've got like an advertising budget, a PR budget, or is it more just on a per project basis? Is that how kind of you guys kind of do things? The latter. The latter. But but what I'd say is um I've been in all 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 sizes of, of institutions. I, I come from a sales software back uh, software sales background. Right. Gone to you know mainly mid market and enterprise. Um, and I've seen everything from, you know, I've been at a very early startup where there was basically no order whatsoever and it was chaos. I've been at a later stage startup where the red tape was everywhere and you basically couldn't brush your teeth without asking some for somebody's approval. Um, so I've seen it all. Phantom, I think we're developing more of a structure. We're a very flat organization. I think there's a lot of, uh, internal opposition to, uh, establishing hierarchy for very reasons, you know. I think it's a lot of it comes from, from the ideology of open source and um, sort of anybody being able to contribute anytime to anything. But as we're growing, we are we are putting in those sort of uh, rails, if you will, to help people understand who they need to be working with in the organization to accomplish certain tasks. Um, and yes, uh, to your point, it, it's not like a traditional company where it's like marketing, here's your budget, dev, devs, here's your budget, uh, BD, here's your budget. It's much more of a, we have this initiative in the short term which adds up to this next initiative in the, in the midterm, which leads to the big picture. And we're kind of tackling those as we go. So cool. that's how it's set up internally. Yeah, yeah cool. All right. Um, so I will say that for me, from a, a, from a brand perspective, there was a time over the last six months um, where I felt like Phantom was bleeding out. Yep. Um, you know, lowering TVL. I think people were, and developers were starting to look elsewhere. Um, not that they were abandoning Phantom, but I think they were like hedging their bets. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I think everyone always felt like the technology was superior and strong. And I've always been a bit of a fanboy, but I was thinking, okay, well, you know, let's see what happens. And, um, over the last four weeks, mm -hmm. six weeks, maybe, um, there's been a reset. Like, um, and I, I think a big part of it is, is the communications that Andres put out, but I also think you guys are all making moves internally to, to make things happen. I mean, kind of, how are you guys thinking about this? Was this just something where, you know, because I, I think there's an enthusiasm and obviously the price, we don't have to talk about price, but the price reflects yes. that people are coming back or, or saying, wait a minute, something's going on here. Right. Do you think, I mean, was that something that, that, that you guys consciously thought through? Was this just Andre saying, Hey, I need to communicate this stuff because people don't understand that, Hey, we have a 30 year runway here. I think that was the pivotal, yeah. the pivotal piece, but um, give me some insights if you could yeah. of what the process has been like over the last few weeks. I mean, I'd say the, the first thing is, uh, that you're, you're totally right. You know, if, like, like any growing company, I think sometimes people forget that these things happen in real time and it's real people trying to understand how to react to them. And, you know, if I can put it this way, I think that we had a bit of an existential crisis, you know, of like trying to figure out who, who, who we are, what are we, what are we trying to accomplish? What differentiates us? The technology was always there, but you have to be able to explicate that to people and, and, and help them understand why it's different and what advantages it, it, it offers. Um, so, yeah, absolutely acknowledge that. And I'll also say that it's a lot more fun to be on the, you know, uh, public facing end yeah. when things are going well than yeah. when they're not. But if I were to build a team, I'd build a team that consists of people who have uh, continued to build and, and operate businesses during times of a lot of public scrutiny and uh, a lot of um, sort of... Uh, you know, down. been under fire. Yeah, been under fire. Yeah. Um, but to, to the secondary point, uh, part of part of what Andres is trying to do in coming back is make two things clear. One, been an integral part of Phantom's growth, right, uh, and its development, but also that 
as as the uh, you know as we've discussed on stage as well what we're trying to do is move this process towards decentralization so to put in the guardrails so that when we are fully removed from the equation this thing continues to run like a smooth smoothly operating machine um and so part of what he's trying to strike the balance of is show show leadership on one hand but also show like i'm not a messiah or god that you need to you know worship uh, because I, I need to, to feel that this technology will continue to persist even if I'm gone for whatever reason. Right. As, all, as, as we all are, right? Sure. Like, well, we're, that's what we're trying to accomplish. And of course, you can't jump from zero to 60 with decentralization because a lot of things can go wrong. Right. That's why we have gradual processes in place and why we're rolling out these initiatives. But that is the, the end yeah. goal. And uh, to your comment about price, I, I never, ever talk about price because I think uh, it, it, it attracts the wrong crowd for yeah. the most part. Um, and I'm also not, yeah, either way, yeah. more Joe's, <laughs> you know, I'm more Joe's, no, you know, there's very, very different crowds we talk about Bryce and, and, um, and, and also, uh, you know, there's a variety of factors why, why I never, I never do also because I, I don't understand, I don't, I don't understand price action. Yeah. And what I will say is, um, that we view it as lagging indicator for us, right? For us, the, the, the main KPI, the main KPI is on-chain transactions and users willingness to pay for the gas to, to. Uh, perform that transaction. Sure. Um, so yeah, I think I, I yeah you covered it. Yeah, yeah you awesome covered it. You covered it. Well, no, I love the going concern angle because you see that you know we do early stage companies in the tech sector. You know, I always talk to the founders and I'm like, if you took a two week vacation, what would happen to the company? Yeah, yeah. And so you want to scale some infrastructure in there so that way it still runs when you're gone. And particularly for Andre, you know, in that concept of like not wanting to be sort of the cult leader, you know, that's really smart of him because. You know, he does, when he touches stuff, he does get a lot of attention. But I like the message that he's putting out now, which is that going concern message, which is not, it's not all about me. Yep. You know, I'm here, but there's also another 95 people. Well, so that's the irony for me is, you know, last year when, when he did the exit, I was really highly critical of the way he communicated mm-hmm. um, that. And I think it did some harm. Um, but I've also been willing to applaud him for amazing communication over the last several weeks, right? And I think it's exactly the right kind of communication. So I'm excited to see kind of that flip for me uh, into it. And, and I'm excited about kind of what's going on. And I think one of the things you touched on a minute ago was people people kind of think of, have been thinking of Phantom as um, just this, another L layer one, right? Mm-hmm. It's fast, it's cheap, it's great, whatever, right? But I think what you guys said from a marketing perspective, what you and, the, and Simone and the team have been doing has been focusing on kind of the messaging around the fact that this is theoretically a superior technology, mm-hmm. right? So finality of transactions. Um, one of the angles I've been really fascinated with here in the conversations, uh, and I don't know if this is a coordinated effort or not, is why do you need L2s when, you, when you've when you got an L1 that does everything that this does, right? You don't need L2s. You don't need subnets. You don't need any of that because you have the speed and power capability of this network that all of those things try to solve on networks that don't have that. And is that something you guys have really been thinking about and trying to message out to people? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, from a, a technological perspective, the, the main focus is on increasing but for, for, our, for the layer one, right, Phantom Opera. Um, and there, there'll be more uh, on stage talking about that later. But um, yeah, the idea is that we want to, to keep a couple things, right? One is total interoperability and composability. So knowing that you have shared users, liquidity and security across the, the ecosystem when you deploy an application on, on Phantom. Um, and what that also means is that we're accruing all those fees to the validators 
for Phantom. Um, and as you probably noticed, you know, we're trying to put in initiatives in place where the way that we incentivize growth and usage of the network is not through inflationary means, but rather through real revenue accrued through fees and then redistributed back into the network. Um, so like Phantom's inflation next year will be under 2%, which is, you know, I think the Fed, as someone said, the Fed. Would <laughs> exactly. um, but uh, you know, in comparison to a lot of um, other blockchains, like that, that's just not the case, right? right. Uh, and so the idea is that if we can accrue a value back to the network, back to the validators and the delegators who, who stake their Phantom, um, two different node, uh, validator nodes, and we can get all this activity to happen on Phantom, on the mainnet, on Phantom Opera, then we're going to really create a rich, rich ecosystem where, um, again, going back to some of the things I've talked about before uh, on other podcasts as well, it's this idea of the long tail, right? Like people are looking for like, what's the big hit? What's the, what's the Amazon? What's the Nike that you're going to onboard? What's, what's this and that? But uh, there's a book that I'm fascinated by. I forget the author's name, but it's called The Long Tail. Chris, maybe Chris Anderson, I forget. Don't, don't I'll put it in the show. Okay, okay. okay. I'll put it in the, uh, the long tail. And uh, he really explores, you know, how all these different marketplaces have captured the long tail where there's basically this uh, infinite amount of niches, each niche with its own head, meaning the, the hits with the most amount of users and its own long tail. And that's what Amazon has done successfully with book distribution at the beginning. It's what eBay did successfully. I it's what a it. plethora of different uh, um, successful technology companies have done. Um, and that's, I think, where a lot of our value capture will be is not just going after the, the whale companies and saying like, we're going to plaster your logo all over our cars, but rather saying like, we're going to open up a decentralized permissionless marketplace for anybody who has the capability to develop and deploy a decentralized application to do so and have out of the box smart contract auditing security systems like that. Watchdog DDAB, having funding mechanisms, which go to the small fish, like Gitcoin. And even when you get to you know, sort of mid-stage growth, the eco ecosystem vault. Um, and then when you get bigger, then you have the uh, DAP uh, gas monetization where 15% of all the gas fees your smart contracts generate go back to you. you. Mm -hmm. And and I think this, is, this has to be a shift of mindset. People are saying, are you going to onboard the Web 2 giants to Web 3? And this is something I've talked about with Andre before. What if we start thinking about it differently? What if we start thinking about the big businesses in Web 3 being businesses that are built on new foundations of different revenue models that nice. didn't exist before. So instead of trying to fit it in, trying to actually building them from the yeah, room. correct. And and, and uh, you know this is um, I'm 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 paraphrasing his thesis, right. but this is something I was talking about with Andre the other day. It's the it's this thesis that a lot of the giants in the space are going to be Web three natives, right? Yeah. It's not necessarily going to be a Web two company who retrofitted it retrofitted its tech stack to be Web three. It may be new business models that now because of things like gas monetization can come to fruition in ways that couldn't before, where it made very similar to affiliate rewards, but also completely different, right? right. Yeah. Um, well, then you're yeah. aligning incentives, right? Every project wants to see more people come into the space. So the more integrations, the more cross protocol stuff that's happening, the more the gas is going to go up, the more people are going to be using it, the more exposure everybody has. You, you know what that reminds me of is, I remember we're both dot-com veterans and, you know, before dot-com, you know, all the IT stuff was a cost. It was an expense. It was system administrators, basically. And when .com came around, it created digital revenue streams, which nobody had ever th thought about. It didn't exist. And so you created these viable businesses now with your content, you know, whether it was, you know, phone book listings or, you know, big databases of, you know, MLS type stuff. You created new revenue streams from that data. And it sounds like you guys are kind of doing this thing because now you've created all these new revenue streams for the clients 
or the protocols that deploy that they didn't have before. They don't get on other chains. And I think that's a pretty brilliant move myself. That's smart, really smart. Um, one of the things you just talked about, you brought up, and, and I don't think has gotten enough hype yet, and, and that is the deployment of, of Watchdog on the network. Mm. Can you kind of tell people about that and how it helps to make it more secure and helps protocols to solve some of their security problems or, or issues with their code? Yeah, sure. So uh, Watchdog, which is uh, uh, DDAO, is the, the, the security auditing firm behind it. Uh-huh. It's one of their products. They also have contract library deployed on Phantom. I'll, I'll just to not get too too into the weeds of the technical side, okay. especially because I'll butcher it. Nah, um, awesome. uh, um, I'll, I'll 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 sort of suggest what it, or describe what it does. But any contract that has uh, 10, 10 million TVL automatically has DDAO monitoring their smart contracts. Mm, but nice. anybody who deploys on Phantom, this look, this is where the scalability, the bottleneck, and where we're figuring out ways to do it. We can't just give every service to any person who deploys a smart contract, sure. right? Which requires some human intervention, meeting with people, of course, navigating the the issues with yes we understand anonymity but also we have to take into consideration the risks of um not promoting but you know uh, giving giving you a platform to to talk about your product and giving you uh, these solutions but realistically if you're a legitimate project you can apply for ddaub you don't have to have a million tbl you could be a smaller team and that's precisely where i think the main advantage comes in teams with tbl probably already have a lot of audits going on and they're willing they're able and willing to pay for them we also have the in-house developer uh, manpower to, to sort of help uh, scale scale out their security audit uh, systems. But with something like DDoB, you could come in and go in, again, not to, to, be, to beat a dead horse, but uh, if you're talking about the long tail, like say, say you're an application, right, where you serve 100 users who are highly dedicated users, high lifetime value, very sticky product for those users, mm-hmm. and you don't have ambitions to become the next next Jeff Bezos, right? Right. What if this is what you want to do? Like the equivalent to running a, a small business, like a pastry of shop course. or a coffee shop. You don't have to go to DC to raise money to do this, right? Right. Um, DDAB offers these kinds of, of projects and developers and solopreneurs the opportunity to leverage some of the technology that would only be available to teams with VC backing, with large uh, right. technical resources. Um, and really what we're sort of trying to do here is uh, democratize the, the path to entry so that you can reach that select long tail, your niche of your audience that you service for a very particular need um, easily, right? right? Without having to ask for permission, without having to raise uh, money to do so. And when you add up all of these long tail niches that, that you know each serve for the very particular audience, that's a lot of users, right? right. Um, now, yeah. Watchdog actually uh, scans for common issues, common exploits in Solidity code. Yes. So that it's not a full-blown audit, but it'll at least help you find, if you're deploying something, it'll help you find problems you may already have that you've inherited from old code or whatever. It'll help you find those, identify them, and fix them so that people, I mean, here's the bottom line. There's just straight deployment onto the onto the thing and say, yeah, my buddy checked, right? You've you got friends that have checked your code. There is um, full-blown audit, which is hundreds of thousands of dollars, and you're waiting six, nine, 12 months to even get in the yeah. queue at the audit company. And then in between is, is a solution like this that will get smarter over time. I'm assuming they continue to add things to it so it detects more problems, more issues. So here's the bottom line. Everything, well, not everything deployed on Phantom, but those that are getting deployed and meet the criteria are actually getting the scan. So there's a level of more assurance and more security for people using a lot of these protocols on Phantom than they would get on kind of Wild West deployments. Correct. And yeah, the, the way it actually works is, so this is uh, 
a programmatic continuous smart, smart contract auditing engine. But if something is flagged, it gets flagged to a human auditor on the DDAV side. And then that auditor will reach out to the team to say, hey, this is what happened. But like recently, they just um, found a potential exploit for a protocol on uh, Phantom, reached out and, and resolved it before anything went wrong. Nice. And DDAV, over the course of its, um, of its existence, has saved tens of millions of dollars yeah. already uh, across different uh, chains and, and bridges. And um, yeah. It's a really smart business. Yes. Yes. It is. It's fantastic. All right, let me get to, uh, let's see. Had a couple of questions from folks that are listening. Shizzy says, are there any dApps uh, that are not out yet that you're excited about that you know are coming? Um, I'll say that there, with, I don't, I don't want to name specific names, okay. uh, but I'll say that there, that the scope of what you've seen on Phantom so far is the tip of the iceberg. Nice. Um, it's, it's mainly been a DeFi chain. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's great. You know, DeFi is, is, is important. It's a huge sector, but it's not everything. And especially what we're moving towards things like account abstraction. There's a lot of use cases that are going to be enabled. Um, and you know, we've had conversations with a lot of different teams in totally different verticals. I'm talking like insurance, organization of real world assets. Um, all of these have pros and cons, of course, in sure. terms of especially depending on where you're ideologically aligned with the idea of permissionless, permissionless nature of uh, crypto. Um, but uh, needless to say, like there's, I, th I think when people think, ask these questions, what they're expecting is which, what's the next big DEX or what's the next big whatever yeah, it is lending but but what i think it's going to be is there's some really strong ones and i'm sure there will be others that come out to challenge the incumbents that's what we want we want to enable competition so that the market can dictate who receives what resources from sure. from the network's revenue um but i think what's most exciting is thinking about the new business models we haven't yet seen that are Coming yet to on. come and are starting to formulate their game plan for how they're going to deploy in one from a biz dev perspective, are you guys reaching out to existing protocols, trying to get them to deploy to Phantom that may be on other chains, but also kind of fostering developers to build new things at, at the same time? Yeah. So I'll say, uh, you know, there's a couple of things. One is we talk, we've talked a bit about this sort of, um, what's, what is, what's going to be the next sort of web three native business model. That's going to be huge. Right. Right. Um, that doesn't mean we're not courting like some of the web two incumbents and giants. Uh, but we have a lot of network upgrades coming in the future. And I'm sure as you both know, when you're working with the enterprise, making a change to the tech stack that requires yeah, yeah. something serious no. is enough to to kill a business Any relationship mm -hmm. and you know potentially have get ripped out of the tech stack. So we're not in the in 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 a hurry to onboard any of these, you know, the traditional giants you can imagine before these network up, upgrades take place. So that if there is something like a hard fork, for example, or something like that, we don't have to restart the whole relationship and cost them tens of millions of dollars um, with their own compliance and internal uh, development work. That's great. Um, but I think I didn't answer your question. Did I? So, yeah, no, you didn't. Okay, so okay. the question was, you know, are you targeting both? Okay. You know, yes. Existing protocols on other chains as well as um, new builders with packathons or whatever to encourage developers to bring. So I, I'd say where we're really ramping up our efforts right now is um, outbound business development efforts. I've been at companies in, in software where um, it was all outbound. You know, I started a sales development representative myself literally cold calling people. So right. I know that those can be uh, high value deals, but it's also, it's a grind. Um, but the, and I've also been at, at companies where we have a huge flow of inbound leads. That's not infinitely scalable, of course, right. but that's where we are right now with Phantom. We have so many inbound leads that we don't have enough people to actually 
like look, handle handle those much less do outbound. Much less do outbound. So we realize that that's not infinite and forever. We do want to be more strategic in our outbound business development efforts. It is happening, and we have conversations with these sort of high value potential partners for. Hey, look, this is what we're planning, and this is what we want to do years down the line, right. or you know, six months down the line. But no, we're not trying to get the biggest company you can think of to come and make an announcement that, like, you know, they've partnered with Phantom today. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. Uh, Eamon, who may or may not be working on a project that I think should deploy first on Phantom, um, as said, gas monetization could drive incentives for very inefficient transactions, driving away from gas saving efforts. I'm not sure what he means. I, I think I know what he means. Good. He means that he means that he's concerned. <laughs> he's concerned uh, that people are going to try to game this and oh, drive very, up gas costs. Yeah, drive definitely. up gas costs, making multi-step processes where yeah. it could be more efficient. I have you no. Know, there's there's two ways to look at this. One is again, this is competitive marketplace. So if you make the experience highly inefficient for your users, what do you think is going to happen if there's another competitor that offers a better experience? Yeah, they're going to go there. It's like. Yeah, McDonald's could could go ahead and, and charge double what Burger King is doing and make their burgers and beer with with you know worse quality meat. People are just gonna go to Burger King. Like yeah, that's yeah. how a market works, right? Yeah. So that's the first part. And the second part is even then, we think that the market that market, that side of the market's gonna regulate itself simply through efficiency because right. if protocols start trying to game it, they're gonna make the experience worse for the users, they're gonna cost their users more money, and people aren't gonna go for that because yeah. people are smart. Um but and somebody it, will call it out with a dashboard saying. Look, they're, look at this project. They're trying to game it. Yeah. And even then, this is part of the spectrum of centralization, decentralization, where this is, again, all these things are pilot programs, right? So if we see that somebody is just coming out and they're getting it, because at, at the beginning, you know, their select projects imply that meet, meet the criteria of a million transactions on a specific smart contract. But if they come out and we just see that they're coming out with bad intent, we can call this back, right? Like, yeah. yes, I understand that's not in the, in the nature of permissionless and decentralization, per, uh, you know, permissionless nature of decentralization, but we're trying to figure out what are the attack vectors right. and what do we need to put in place so that we can then programmatically do this in a way where nobody has to the foundation. They can simply apply through governance for the gas monetization program, get it. And then if they start, you know, acting maliciously, this thing can govern itself. But ultimately, I think even more effectively than that is just the market making its own decisions. Sure. If you create a new experience, what do you think is going to happen? That's yeah. it. Yeah. Great answer. Um, at a high level, why is the FVM better? than the other EVMs on the market. So there's, I, I forget this exact statistic, but it's something like the EVM slows us down by 90% uh, in terms of our, our throughput um, for, for, the, for the layer one, for Phantom Opera. Um, we launched and deployed with the EVM because the initial focus, like a lot of other blockchains, was on the consensus mechanism, the mm-hmm. Kesis. Right. Um, and at the time, the EVM was the best thing there was. And I, I think that, uh, if you ask Andre or Michael, they'd say that it was a great decision to launch a sure. VM. But now we've reached a point in time where we realize, like, you know, we are not planning on scaling horizontally, if you want to call it that, with things like layer twos, subnets, rollups, sidechains, whatever, which means that if the EVM is the bottleneck, we need to address that. Um, for the for the FVM, we have Professor Bernard Schultz, who uh, I, I've done an issue with him on Vertical Blocks. If you're listening, you should go check that out. It's, I think, the second episode. Bernard Schultz, uh, Professor Bernard Schultz is a legend. He's a professor at the University of Sydney. Um, he was a co-founder of Sun Microsystems. And um, I, I believe he's been called by more than a couple of people, the father of the virtual machine. Nice. So he is an expert in this. He has a team behind him. We've uh, recently hired more uh, uh, developers who work with the Ethereum Foundation. Um, some of them are, are uh, 
postdocs who work with Bernard uh, and are specialized in the EVM. So there's a strong team behind that that's 100% laser focused on developing the FVM. And by the way, when I say developing the FVM, this is a series of upgrades over time. It's like your hair growing out. It's right. not like you wake up one day and it's long, right? right. It, it happens over time with a series of, of incremental upgrades um, until it reaches its finality, which by the way, it never will because this is a continuous. Um, yeah. So the idea though is, is that um, developers will be able to write to the FBM to improve their performance of their protocols as opposed to how it would function using just the EVM. Is that, is that the general idea? For, for developers, nothing will change. So like, it'll still be the same? Same operating, same operating, operating. nothing will change. The Solidity and Viper compatible. Cool. Um, and yeah, that's the idea is that, is that if you come to Phantom from another chain, you don't have to learn any new languages. Hmm. Um, and if you start up at Phantom and then you want to go multi-chain, there's a lot of reasons why you might want to do so. You also don't have to learn another language because most of the uh, big chains are EVM compatible today. So without you know. specific dates, uh, cause I would never ask a technology team to give me specific dates. What? Do you guys have a general timeline of where we're going to be with FGM deploy deployments that you're talking about? Off the top of my head, I couldn't tell you exactly what is planned for when. Um, all I can tell you is that we're trying to be more vocal about what is going on with the research while also being more guarded. And what I mean by that is um, this is, this is uh, I think, a strategic move. It's somewhat unusual for our space. Because everything we do is open source, but we are going to patent the the Phantom Virtual Machine. Oh, great! Because we see it as a, as a competitive advantage, and you know, with the work that we were putting into it, and the caliber of the talent that we've recruited to work on it, which is world renowned. Like again, Bernard Schultz. Like, just to give you a little bit more con a context, he's also um, the creator of a programming language called Souffle, sure, which is used by thousands of Oracle developers uh, across the world. Um, so, I mean, the, the caliber is very high. Uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're somewhere between trying to communicate what the technological progress is while still being able to safeguard our research so that it's not cloned, copied, and yeah. deployed. Um, well, look, I mean, I can understand the motivation for it. I think you're going to get grief for a patch. Yes, of course. <laughs> so of course. just, you know, I hope you guys I'm prepared. prepared. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good. Good. Let me see, make sure there were no more questions, uh, from live right now. Amy said. This FVM is the most exciting aspect of Phantom. Love this push for getting to an efficient EVM. Will require having bespoke coding methods. So we already talked about yep. that. For contracts on Phantom, take advantage of it. No, Eamon. So uh, evidently, there will not be uh, any specialized uh, code required for it. Um, all right. Let me, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but I did have some questions from folks on Twitter. Uh, sure. I think we've covered most of this, but he said, um, Somebody said, uh, how does the uh, Phantom Foundation plan to increase adoption and usage amongst Web2 businesses and consumers? Well, we kind of talked about yeah. what you guys are doing with that. Um, you recently hired a number of candidates to the marketing team. What are all the overall goals of the marketing team, micro and macro? I think, I mean, are there specific KPI numbers? Um, user base, user counts, or anything so like that? The, so what's the whole question? The whole question is, what's, what, are the, what are the overall goals of the marketing team, micro and macro? Uh, I mean, so... Macro is increased the amount of on-chain transactions. That's our main KPI for absolutely everything. Um, what's the micro in the process of getting there? Onboarding as many developers as possible. So, yeah. um, so that's yeah, your yeah. primary target strategically right now. Get developers in that the door because that drives users eventually anyway. Yeah, they yeah I think uh, sometimes people look at Phantom and because of the nature of how uh, retail-driven and speculation-based crypto has been in general across the board. People think that, uh, you know, blockchain companies are all in the business of 
B2C marketing to the end mm-hmm. consumer. Right. But we're not. We're 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 B2B and B2B can mean B2A solopreneur, right? Sure. But we're we're a marketplace. We none of our messaging is catered towards retail. Any retail that listens to it is just a passionate observer and right. follower of the technology. So 100% of our efforts are all based on attracting developers. We're communicating to developers. And again, this is an example I give, you, I give uh, all the time. But um, for example, if, if you have like a, a Spotify, right? And you get a really uh, push notification that says like, Joe, you might like this artist recommended for you. And, you and, it, and it's correct. And you like the artist. Then you might say, wow, Spotify's algorithm is on fire. What you don't think to yourself is, Wow, I wonder who their push notification provider is. Like that's that's amazing. Like I'm gonna go follow them on. Um, and uh, that's something like you know when 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 I worked with a lot of B2B uh, software businesses, our our target demographic or our audience is product managers, user acquisition managers, directors of marketing. It's not their end users, right? right. So who we want to have as evangelists are these people and these mm-hmm. professionals in these roles. That's the same thing we're doing at Phantom. Where who we want to have is our main demographic uh, that we're targeting is developers and entrepreneurs and businesses. And then our job is to abstract the process for the, for them to build and for the end user to feel like it's frictionless so that they can, they can go out and, and target the end user and acquire their, Love whoever it. their, their niche is like we're, we're in the same way. Amazon web services is not trying to, you know, acquire each user for every single different technology that leverages their cloud. Right. We're also not trying to do that. That we're, that's something that's outsourced the business development teams of the applications that build on fans. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Well, I think, look, I think from uh, the perspective of the foundation, eventually as this thing grows, you guys can start implementing educational programs to help, you know, the, the guys who are just 100% developers who are never going to figure out how to strategically market it, right? How do you leverage partnerships? How do you get to market? How do you find your target? Are have, who's the persona? All of those things are things that you can, you can provide them from an educational perspective, but let each project drive the users to it. That's actually a great idea because one thing we are working on now is uh, Phantom Academy, oh. which is um, it's it's going to be done in house by some of our developers. But it's basically A to Z. What is from what is blockchain to um, how do you launch a smart contract on Phantom? Right. Cool. Um, but now that you're saying this, I think that's really interesting because developers may come to Phantom even if they're indie or solo solo developers. Knowing the technical part of it, what they may not know is the go-to-market part of it. Exactly. And uh, if we can develop a, a repository or a library of information related to that, not only is it going to attract more talent to Phantom, but it also en- enable those applications that are on Phantom to increase the amount of users yep. and our change transactions. So thanks for the no, run. I'll, uh, I'll talk to you afterwards. I've got yeah. a ton of material from, uh, I teach at the FB, FIU MBA group. Okay. So would love to happy to chat about, about ideas around that. Even says Phantom could have an accelerator for protocols wanting to deploy uh, um, as Phantom in the uh, for Phantom in the first place, absolutely agree. We can talk about that too. Yeah. Um, let me make sure there was nothing else critical. Uh, what is the user base or the main demographic for the marketing team? We talked about that. Uh, we talked about KPIs. Um, anything else on the technical front or the deployment front that's coming from you guys? We should know about any events upcoming. People should be attending. Uh, we have a lot of events. So oh, cool. Just even even today at from five to seven. If you're in my in the Miami area or anywhere nearby. Um, come out. We have uh, an event where we're throwing Chainlink. Right. Uh, it's um, deploying uh, secure smart uh, lending protocols on Phantom. That's going to be led by it's Buns. Like how to? Yeah, how to? Okay. Uh, like an introductory course for cool. if, if you know how to code, or even if you're just curious, or if you're coming from Web two, maybe even nice. if you're new to Web three, come along. It's a code along. Um, uh, Buns, the head solidity dev of SoulSwap, is going to be leading it. Sweet. Sponsored by uh, Chainlink in partnership with Phantom. 
So that's today. We're we're gonna do a nice. bunch more uh, things like this. We've we've done some in the past, and we have a lot planned in terms of hackathons. So phantom hackathons and also uh partner uh led hackathons as well Sweet. and we are you know diverting more resources towards that um and and really uh, a chunk of the treasure is going to go towards uh enabling hackathons and, and enabling i love that yep. yeah i love that that's fantastic joe did you have anything else you wanted to bring up no i mean just generally super impressed by the laser focus on goals and mission yeah um, i think it's i just really haven't heard you know, this much in in the space where yep. it's you know just all about on-chain computes, basically. And I draw a lot of parallels from like the cloud wars a couple of years ago. I was doing some stuff with Azure in the genomic space. And, and it was all about, you know, everybody wanted com computes, computes, which to me is the same thing in my, in an analog to me. So I started thinking about all the other businesses in the past, particularly genomics. I know we talked a little bit about that, but it seems like it's the optimal chain for those deployments than anything that's super heavy data intensive. And so I, I just think you guys are doing a great job. Yeah, well, I, I appreciate it. Like, you know, the last thing I'll, I'll plug as well is, um, I mean, if you've been following the announcements, you've probably heard of this, but uh, we're also working on on gas subsidies or what, what I call gas abstraction. So um, it, what it essentially means is that users won't need to go through this complicated process of, well, I need to get Phantom to put it in my wallet to then pay for gas. And then how do I bridge it? You, like. I think we take it for granted because we've done it. So but many times. using crypto is still extremely complicated. It's yeah. like if you had to learn JavaScript just to send an email. Yeah, right? exactly. Um, and uh, and and so and so uh, with gas gas subsidies applications, I think this is another thing where everything we're trying to do is is to spare competition, right? right. Competition is the driver of growth, and so applications will have the ability to essentially um, pay for users' transactions. So, like if you have a Dex, for example and you want to encourage users to use that DEX, you could say, hey, use it. You don't have to bridge Phantom. You can just take advantage of Phantom's uh, nice. speeds and whatever else it is that you want to uh, pitch as your, your valid proposition. And then maybe that's a, a, a sort of a user acquisition in the short term where, yes, you are taking on the burden of paying for those gas fees, but then users become loyal through DEX, your aggregator, or whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, and then it goes. So we're a lot of these things, they all tie together and create this sort of flywheel effect. That's awesome. And yep. gas fees are tremendously low on Phantom. Anyhow, yeah. so it's not going to be a big cost for you to do that. I think that's great. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Uh, Chuck says, great discussion. Nice to hear all the specifics from one very clearly presented. Thanks, so, Chuck. Appreciate so, it. Uh, Chuck, yeah. glad to see you here. Um, Joe, that's all I got for today. Yeah, I'm good, too. I think we have a lunch to get to, right? Yeah. <laughs> thanks for having <laughs> me on, so guys. Much, man. Really it appreciate awesome. it. Thanks, Juan. Awesome. Um, Thank you so much. Everybody Thank check you. out Juan on uh, Twitter. His handle will be in the show notes. Uh, Shizzy, Chuck. Amen. I'm going to miss it because I can't see the screen. Thanks for participating. We love and appreciate you as always. Apple uh, Podcasts, Spotify, go in there and do those reviews. You go, you guys are, your task is overdue. Joe wants you to smash the thumbs up on YouTube uh, as always. Thanks, everybody. Hope you have a, a great evening, Ben. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. And we're almost out.